Welcome to Metaphysical Romp with Reverend Paul Hasselbeck and co-host Reverends Bill Holton and Cher Holton. Discover practical applications to bring 21st century metaphysics to work in your life. Here's your host, Paul Hasselbeck. Welcome to another edition of Metaphysical Romp 2. This is the Reverend Dr. Paul Hasselbeck. And yes, I'm still at the Fort Lauderdale end of the virtual kitchen table, having yet another beautiful day in my consciousness. How about you? We are too. We are having a beautiful day here. This is Reverend Dr. Cher Holton, and it is a beautiful day in my consciousness. And this is the Reverend Dr. Bill Holton. It's very definitely another beautiful, beautiful day in my consciousness as well. And as you guys know, and for those of you who don't know, we are the co-founders of a hybrid, we're calling it, Unity Ministry. It's, it's a virtual Unity Ministry, and our name is the Unity Center for Universal Prosperity.org. And it's why owe you universal because it's about your spiritual growth yes and we're excited that we have the dot org now so dot com will still get you there it'll point but we're very excited to have the dot org to reflect the nonprofit status and the shortcut is ucfyp.org oh so you updated that one too look at you go yes. all right so i'm still a dot com you can find me at paulhasselbeck.com where you'll find my weekly blog, The Absolute Word, as well as my calendar, which is now beginning to fill up with things as I'm letting go of this thing I've called my semi-sabbatical. So I will be back home in Kansas City. Oh, I'm thinking by March 6th or 7th. So I'm looking forward to be home, but I'll sure miss being here in the beautiful warm weather with my wonderful hosts here in Fort Lauderdale. We are shifting our attention today to meditation. Every once in a while, we circle back to this when we we find out new information. And uh, this is based on a podcast by Huberman, Dr. Andrew Huberman. His podcast is Huberman Labs. And you can just search. This is a particular long podcast on meditation. And probably the part two we do next week, I'll make sure I have the the right information for this. And so new information about meditation, just to give you a little history that way back in the last millennium in the 1960s and 1970s, the practice of meditation and experimentation with psychedelics were intertwined with each other. So for many, meditation got a bad rap. And since then, They've gone their separate ways. And what's really kind of cool, the study of psychedelics were illegal, and now they're starting to get permission to do it, and they're finding really great outcomes for people who have like post-traumatic stress syndrome, a severe depression, and all of that. In the 60s and 70s, we threw the baby out with the bathwater. Now we're giving resuscitation to the baby, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Meditation has been going through a phase of growth and all of that, and it, it's gotten an, a degree of legitimacy. Silicon Valley recommends that their people who work for them take meditation classes and learn how to meditate. And the biggest breakthrough came with the functional MRI machine, functional magnetic resonance imaging, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. And so They can put someone who's meditating into one of those machines 
and they can actually have real-time pictures of what part of the brains are lighting up when they're meditating. And so I'm hoping to get into those details, but as a result of this research, some wonderful things have been discovered. Now, uh, Bill and Sherry, do you want to add anything before I go on to that? Not really. I think you've done a really nice summary to get us all set up to move into some of the ahas that we've gotten from this particular podcast, which okay. is what we're going to do today. Sure. Yeah. And we're, we're hoping this will be useful information to you. That's always the bottom line. So I'm going to read this directly from the transcript. People erroneously think that as you meditate and get better at it, you need to meditate more and more and more. It's actually quite the opposite. And if you're hearing this for the first time, I would hope you're as shocked as I was when I read it. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, I had to reread it, okay? So what he says is the better you get at dropping into a particular brain state and the more you can get into specific neurocircuits quickly, the less you need to meditate in order to derive the benefits of meditation. So what that says to me is that what I used to uh, teach in regard to transcendental meditation is optimal was 20 minutes twice a day. Well, when I start to meditate and I'm coming out in 10 minutes and 20 minutes, instead of 20 minutes, I, go, I don't go back in anymore. I assume that that was enough because it, it's not a quantitative thing. It's a qualitative thing. What was the quality? And if, if you're well-trained at this, you can drop into these states and you get, you get the impact very, very quickly. And so he talks about a specific fo form of meditation or forms of meditation can indeed reduce your need for sleep and still allow you to enhance your cognitive and physical abilities. So one of the things that's going to be happening over these three or four episodes is we're going to be talking about specific forms of meditation and what they're good for. And what's interesting about what you're saying on meditation, where they come, uh, less is more, essentially, you know, they made the same discovery of physical exercise. They used to say 20 minutes several times a day. Now they're talking 10 minutes several times a day will do you just as good. And I think the key here, and this is what from my opinion, we want to be sure and emphasize is that you have to get there in order to be there. Um, <laughs> hey, there's a meme. What I mean by that, yeah, that came out kind of funny, but it's true when you it think is. about it, because we always say meditation is the one non-negotiable in our opinion that you really, that's, that is something you want to really develop and recognizing there's a lot of different ways to meditate. It does take time to get yourself into the place where you're able to drop into it quickly. And once you do that, then you can, you can have a, a two minute meditation sitting at your desk. You could be in a meeting and sort of internally just get that benefit, but you can't do it if you haven't trained to be there. It's yeah. not something you can just make up. It's it's a practice you develop until it becomes muscle memory. Yeah, so what was it you said to start that off with that even stick? 
you can't you have to get there in order to be there. Yeah. So so that's kind of like that the saying from Johnny Coleman. Yeah, you have you have to work it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you, you can know all this truth, but if you don't work it, it's not going to do you do you any good. Of course, Cher mentioned that uh, uh, she said muscle memory. Uh, in the case of meditation, I would think it would be more neuro memory. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so it, it, memory, it, right. it is. And in fact, we may get to this today or not, but Dr. Huberman talks about this default neuro network. Yeah. And, and learning about that can be very important to the way in which we become better meditators. But before we get there, that may not even be in this week's episode, he says meditation can can give us very specific results like better focus, better sleep, as well as a combination of results. Now, he says specific changes related to specific aspects of meditation. But before I say that, I think we also need to talk about how, how the word exercise is really a big basket of different type of things you can do. The word meditation is inclusive of a lot of it, of uh, techniques and people yes. meditate in different ways. But he says that there's focusing at- attention inward. There's focusing attention outward. There's focusing on what is called the third eye and what we might get to talking to that. People focus on their breathing. People focus on what they're eating. There's there's mindfulness, which is being present with whatever there is in the moment. So there's all kinds of ways to meditate. However, to me, what makes them similar is this idea of focus. And mm-hmm. focus, in a way, is a result of how we focus our consciousness. And what's mm-hmm. consciousness? It's awareness plus arousal plus motivation. You've heard this from us before. So that focus, that awareness is like a spotlight. And where are we going to put it? Are we going to focus it outside? Are we going to focus it inside? Are we going to focus on our breathing? Are we going to focus? That's what we're talking about, that wonderful means we have to focus. And in fact, he, he talks about how we can focus on two things easily but we usually can't focus on three. So mm-hmm. like I could be sit, I could be sitting here and, and I'm aware I'm doing this program with Bill and Cher and the computers in front of me. So that's an outer focus, but I could also be aware of my stomach gurgling, for example. And it's not just in case you hear something, it's not my <laughs> stomach, <laughs> but I could be doing both things at the same time. And could, because that our consciousness has this ability to focus in two places in the same time. You know, the same caution comes up when we talk about multitasking. They discover now that you want to watch out what you multitask, what the relationships are, because too much multitasking is not good for you. Right. It, yes. it, it becomes very inefficient, if, if you will. And I'm thinking, too, when you think about it, the focusing attention inward, uh, Sarah and I call that an inspirience. And when you have the five senses outer focused, uh, it's called an experience. So you have an experience and an experience. And what Paul was just saying, too, about uh, uh, the stomach growling, only he can, you know, hear that. Uh, he's he's doing both uh, an experience and an experience. You can 
hybridly flew together. Yeah, yeah. So what's really interesting about that, I think those two words are more easily understood by most people than the technical terms for those. So experience is called interoception and experience is called exteroception. And so uh, there's a lot we can do talking about that as Mm -hmm. well. And one of the things he says is that a person could even do meditation once or twice a week, even once a month, and still clearly benefit in specific ways. I'm sure he's right because he knows all this stuff and he's the scientist. But I have to say that once a day just does something. And when I miss it, I know it. And I, I think the benefits come from a daily experience. That's just my personal opinion. I would agree in that if I would probably miss more meditations if I was saying I was only going to do it once a month. And in fact, if I randomly miss a day or two, there is an inner urge to do my meditation practice. Mm -hmm. It's almost like my inner knower. I'm getting called to do my meditation practice. I don't think he says anything about that. And so he's just strictly talking about the science, but we, we can have a personal experience that we enjoy and want to repeat that doesn't dismiss what the science are saying and it doesn't support it either in some ways. Gotcha. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So I want to skip some of that material and come back to it next week where it talks about brain parts and that, but I, I want to skip to the part that's about a generic meditation practice. And I really don't think there's any such thing as that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but he says, 70, 75% is going to involve stopping, meaning getting out of motion, sitting or lying down, and in most cases, closing the eyes. This is something a lot of people have, when they think about meditation, they think of that, sitting down, closing your eyes and, and stuff like that. Now, I was taught never to lie down during a meditation, but I learned I could lie down and meditate If I knew I was fully rested, otherwise I was going to go to sleep. Did you have something to say, Cher? I do. I just want to say that people need to recognize because we've, as we said before, there are so many ways to meditate that it's important to find the one that works for you and not feel that you have to do a certain way. And uh, people who are very active, for example, just have a problem initially, especially sitting still. So yep. a walking meditation may be much more appropriate for their, them to start with rather than to try to force themselves to sit still. So with the little time I left, let me give you that, give you some context on that. And based on what I've read, give you some information. So yes, I'm definitely, I was definitely built to sit and get still and do a a transcendental meditation, which is a mantra meditation, which depends on my being aware of what I'm thinking and thinking a specific mantra, that's an interoceptive meditation. And I'm damn good at that, okay? Other people, like you'd say, need to do a walking meditation or an eating meditation because they are more inclined to be exteroception. Now, Here's the kicker, damn it. 
<laughs> for those of us who, who do intercept, interoceptive meditation, the best, we need to include extero meditation because that challenges our neural pathways and starts to rebuild neural pathways, that neuroplasticity. And the opposite is true as well, which is if you're the person that needs to be doing the walking meditation, all of that, it will be good for your brain to learn how to do some interoceptive meditations. And what you're talking about when you think about it is that if we're talking about thinking and processing information, it would be better for us if we use both right brain hemisphere and left brain hemisphere for that in conjunction. Yeah, and I don't know how we distinguish that. So I'm I'm hoping we can find some information on that. Go ahead, Cher. I, mean, I just want to ask a question about what you just shared. Okay. Because I think that's powerful. I certainly agree with that. When a person is initially starting a meditation practice, what, do you think he would recommend that we start with something that's familiar and comfortable to get used to the practice? Then we can bring in the opposite technique to continue to grow our awareness and our ability in it. Absolutely. He wants, he would want us to figure out whether we are more naturally interoception or interoceptive or extraoceptive. And then you would do that type of meditation, but then you would definitely add the other in. So that was a really good catch share. I'm also thinking too, in terms of the interoceptive, if, if you're sitting for that particular type of meditation, I don't see whether it's absolutely necessary to get in a lotus position as long as you keep your spine straight, I'm guessing. Well, so he doesn't even go into that. He just says people sit, people lie down. He doesn't, he, he, and I've never been a believer that you have to be. In fact, if sitting in a lotus position was a requirement for meditating, I would never meditate. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, the people who taught me first told me I had to, and I asked them why. And they said, well, if you, if, if, if you cross your legs in the way they do in the West, you block the energy. And I went, well, why would I want an energy that was so weak if just crossing my legs would stop it? And we're not talking about legs. We're talking about how we impact our consciousness. I think comfort is the right. key. And I sit in a comfortable position. Yes, yes. So it is definitely time we pivot to the absolute word, which is based on Sunday messages appearing in Daily Word. A copyrighted Unity publication has been used with permission. So this comes from February 26th, and the words are release and embrace. Their words were, guess what? Let go and let God. <laughs> so I made it release and embrace. I release limitations and embrace my infinite potential. Holding on to what is familiar but no longer serves me may stall my growth. I spiritually evolve more quickly when I trust my inner knower. I release old beliefs and their associated patterns and behaviors. In my heart, I know when I move away from a dysfunctional relationship, a negative attitude or unhealthy way of living, I can then move towards something greater. Peace, safety, harmony, freedom, and fulfillment based on the infinite potential of my inherent divinity. 
I use my power of elimination to release and let go of anxiety or fear. I use my power of dominion to feel happy and secure. I am free. My heart is buoyant and my steps lighter. My ongoing intention is to release limiting thoughts and feelings. As I embrace my divinity, I manifest my infinite good. I release limitations and embrace my infinite potential. And this is the Reverend Dr. Paul Hasselbeck releasing this version of MR2 and thanking our listeners. This is Reverend Dr. Cher Holton saying thank you so much for joining us today. And this is the Reverend Dr. Bill Holton and the three of us strongly invite you to always move toward your greater good. <laughs>